You'll never believe this. A pastor and a rabbi walk into a podcast to discuss how faith and tradition should inspire but never limit us. Yeah, we talk about surfing, stand-up comedy, religion, family issues, pop rocks, and absolutely nothing at all. You'll have so much fun, you'll never believe we're actually religious leaders. Half of parenting is tricking your children, really. Uh, yeah. That's, and I'm not really that good at it anymore. I don't know if I was ever good at it, but I'm definitely not good at it anymore. Is it because they're older or you're not as good? A combination of the two, I think. I think it's definitely both. So, uh, yeah. What should we talk about today? Chewing. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt your chewing. Um, no, I, I, I had this thought this morning. Was it yesterday morning? One of the other mornings about just the issues of feeling like you're going too far into the things that we do, if you will, or, you know, when you get overcommitted and how people treat you because of that, you know what I mean by this? Nope. Okay. So I'll give you a little instance. There's a guy who sits behind me in synagogue. Okay. And the other day I turned around and I, I looked at him and he has what's called payas. You know, you know, payas are. Payas are those things where, you know, the really curly long things going down, you know, on the side of your face, like some religious Jews have. Okay. And like some people have them, some people don't have them. Some people think this counts as it, that doesn't really matter, but it's something that I always attribute with like, no, that's too far. Like I could never do that. You know what I mean? And, and I was like, where, where do I get off? Like I have, I'm a rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi, you know what I mean? Like who <laughs> keeps like too far. And and I look at this guy and I'm like, oh, look at this guy. Who does he think he is? Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like, what a thought. And then I started like going through the annals of history in my mind and the things that I um, sort of ran into in my life where people treated me as such in my sort of journey to becoming a rabbi. And I remembered very early on, there was a woman who I... Um, like went to shul with she, she and I both, we went to pray together, you know, multiple times a day. And then I don't remember what it was that caused it, but she literally said to me like, Oh, okay, let's not go too far now. Like, let's not get too religious. And I was like, what's that about? You know, like where, and then, then I realized like everyone's line is totally arbitrary. Like it's totally this thing where we, and I think it has to do with people being uncomfortable with what you're doing and what they're not doing. It gets really like, awkward i don't know do you have anything like that did you ever have anything like that in your life i definitely have people who are surprised when i tell them i'm a pastor because i'm sure i'm not overtly uh uber religious or i think their expectations of pastor are someone who's you know more holier than thou and pious and doesn't drink and curse and but you must have it too because a lot of the the practices in Judaism are more uh, obvious, right? Like you have the kippah on all the time. You have the, Correct. the um, what's the, uh, the undergarment you wear with the ropes that hang out from under your shirt? Yeah, they're they're called tzitzit. That's what they're called. Tzitzit, them tzitzit, tzitzit. I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story that I heard the other day. There was a guy I know who said that he he knew someone who had tzitzit, and they're always hanging out. But he was working in trash collection. And somebody who wasn't Jewish, who was working with him, like grabbed a bag of trash and tore off one of his tassels and then wrapped the bag (laughs) 
wrap the bag up because he thought he had like strings hanging off yeah. so that they could tie off the bags. He had no idea what he had just done. And the guy was like, what did you just do that for? He was like, what, that's not what those are for? And he was like, no, those are not what that's for. And I mean, like, I couldn't imagine anyone ever doing that. But so you're, um, you're talking about these things like they're obvious. My guess is 90% of people listening to this have no idea what you're talking about. It's a shirt with these little dangly frayed strings hanging out. It really looks like your underwear has uh, like pulled a pulled a seam and it's hanging out of your shorts. But yeah, so yeah. all we're saying is it's kind of obvious. So I think people like people can tell pretty quickly. And oh, yeah. you've the hard part is you you're living it. So for most of the people who don't live it, you know, you think, oh, this is just life. But for a lot of people who Judaism isn't, it's more their cultural identification than the religious identification. Um, they're like, oh boy, that guy is way over the top. He wears the oh totally. Totally. I mean, it's the, the, I, I feel like when I get, I get this more when I come back to the States and people sort of, I start noticing stares and stuff, you know, and people are looking at me, but, but you're talking, what I think, which is interesting is that it's even internal. Like it's even within Judaism, everyone has this line. I mean, we have a joke, a very famous joke in the Jewish tradition, which uh, this guy uh, is on a deserted Island. I don't know if I've ever told you this one before. He's on a deserted Island. He like, whatever, got stranded. And when they finally find him, he sees that how, they say to him, like, how did you survive this entire time like this? And he says, oh, I, I built a model of a city and imagined myself living amongst people in this city. And they, he shows it to the people who found him. And he says, look, here's the city hall and here's the synagogue and here's the library and here's the school and here's the synagogue. And he said, and they said, whoa, 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 why are there two synagogues? And he goes, oh, well, that's the synagogue I go to. And that's the one I never set foot in. <laughs> that's, that's basically how Jews treat, you know, so I feel like almost interpersonal interactions is that they think to themselves, like, I have a line where I'll never cross over. And if somebody is there and they've done that and they're in that realm, it makes them very uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Mm. And I think you, you must, you might see something like that when people find out that you're a pastor, no, like that all of a sudden they'll go, Whoa, like, is that, you're one of those people. That's what you do. Yeah. I mean, rarely, but, um, Sometimes people suddenly think they have to clean up their behavior or get, they start to, totally. really, like, they could tell internally, they rethink everything they've said and done that night. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. If do anything offensive or wrong. Is God As if they could, yeah, are they going to like be able to edit it out? You know what I mean? While they're doing it? It's like, it's, it's not going to work. Well, it's like something else that I thought of, which was there's a big difference between, I feel like Judaism and other, and other religions. Like if you're actually keeping Judaism at a level that I don't want to say like that I do, you know, but like at a, at a level that people who are um, observant, as we call it, if you're living, if you're doing it at that level, then you're basically expected to pray three times a day, right? You're you're expected usually, or you try to go in the mornings and in the evenings. There's two prayer services in the evenings and one in the morning. And then I remember, do you remember um, Million Dollar Baby? You remember that movie? with uh clint eastwood you remember and he there's that woman and she yeah, it's a horrible horrible movie if you haven't seen it i'm not gonna give you any, any but there's a scene in it where somebody says about clint eastwood clint eastwood's character that he's coming to church every day there must he must have done something really bad in his life and i'm like oh yeah you'd never notice that with jews because we come all the time. Like we're always, at like, you know, it's the complete opposite. You'd be like, that guy never shows up. He does the wrong thing. And it's like, but like, you would never have that sort of outward, 
what you're talking about. It would it wouldn't come would it come up in any other instance? Like would there be something that you could say, I don't I don't know, that you know, that it just seems so backwards to me is what I'm basically saying. Like, how could it possibly be that somebody who was doing something which seemed in a dev- it was like being devout was really an indication of somebody who had done something horribly wrong? Do you know what I mean? Yes, I guess. But uh, yeah, yeah, we get jokes kind of, of like people sometimes saying like, oh, if I can't step foot in there because I'll catch on fire or lightning will strike me as right. if there's like a reason you do like like the reason uh we participate in religious practices is is to avoid punishment, right? Or it's, right, like, right, right. it's like we call it fire insurance. Like people come to avoid hell, not to enjoy life. You know? <laughs> That's unbelievable. You haven't they heard of fire to... insurance? <laughs> no, I have not heard of fire. This is this is news to me. I, I don't know if there's anybody else listening, but that is news to me. That is very interesting. You can use that fire anytime you want. Don't even. Quote. Oh, that's good. I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to that one. Um, but if you think about it, like the other thing is that I don't feel like you would ever look at someone who's devoting themselves to a different practice, a different thing that isn't religion, right? And think of it as weird or odd, like maybe maybe video games but like if you if you devoted yourself to say surfing right let's say that i i was a surfer who i i needed i just i got up every day and i went surfing and there's a guy actually i think in one of the endless summers there's a there's a feature of about a guy who had surfed for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of days and never missed a day and that's a little weird but like if you really were like a professional surfer you wouldn't be like oh my god what are you doing why are you always surfing that's so weird like what's your problem, right? Like you wouldn't be looked at as that. You'd be looked at as like, almost as like a a positive thing in your, in your, you know, characteristics. Do you know what I mean? Like somebody who's a real pro in, in, in stand-up comedy, like spends all his time crafting his jokes. Like you would never look at that person and be like, Ooh, something wrong with that guy. You know what I mean? I don't know because uh, people get called out all the time. Like I remember having a, a Tupperware bin in my trunk um, because at any moment, if I went surfing, I'd want to have my gear with me and, and you and I both know what the Tupperware is for, sure. but other people were like, what's the smelly. So people got in my car to go to a bar and they're like, <laughs> why does it smell like seawater? And I was like, well, I got my wetsuit <laughs> in the back. And they're like, are you shipping it somewhere? They were like making fun of me because, and right. I told them, well, you know, when you change, you, you know, you want to change and, and put everything into Tupperware. So it doesn't get your car wet but you can also dump clean water on you and you keep a clean water jug and they were like oh you're really into this huh and i was right like, you've been surfing haven't you and they're like yeah but just they like rent boards and stuff so there was like a there was a line where they're like i'm not willing to stink up my car and keep my stuff with me all the time so, aka you're not willing to surf that's basically what that means yeah it's I mean, like just kind of like fair weather which is fine i mean it's a hobby for for some people but i think yeah a point when people are like, Oh, you're a zealot about this stuff. And I wasn't, yeah. I didn't bring it up. I felt like it would have been a whole different issue if I was like, Hey guys, want to smell my suit in the back of the car? <laughs> oh, like that time when you uh, did stand up comedy and, and stripped until you're wearing nothing like a, a, but a wetsuit on stage. Wetsuit. That was like one of those times that I feel like yeah, you might've been bringing something up at that moment, but no, I like, I, I feel like there's a stigma to, to religion that it, it gets a bad rap almost like it's almost off on the bat on a bad foot instantaneously. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if, cause most people who take it to the, the to a, you know, a, if their personal lifestyle 
is being altered that much and they're adorning uh, specific religious garments and they're practicing more. Oftentimes it's like the, the highlighted story about those people is they're terrorists or they're zealots or they're, right. um, they're putting other people down, you know, um, you know, the, they're Pharisees and they're Sadducees who are just mm -hmm. enforcing laws and stealing money from people, not doing it for their own personal, you know, well-being and health. That might be a part of it is, you know, the PR on all this stuff is really negative. Right. No, for sure. I, I wish, I definitely don't think we do the best job at, at our, at our PR, but I feel like, I don't know, you know, in some instances, I feel like what happens as well is that instantaneously you're, you're branded as someone who thinks and feels and does those things, right? You're instantaneously, people assume about you that you could be somebody who would hijack a plane. That might be a little bit much, but like they, they assume about you that you're going to be, you know, whatever it is, it could be somebody who is more in a traditional camp, um, you know, is uh, they tend to be against abortion or something, or they want, they want to outlaw abortion. And all of a sudden you get lumped immediately. People are assuming that's what you are when you say that you live a religious lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? Like there's all these assumptions that people are making about you and you feel this sort of distance grow immediately. Like, do you feel that, that, that it's not only, I mean, there's a whole nother layer that comes with being a religious leader, right? There's a whole nother layer that happens when you're a, a rabbi or a pastor or a priest, right? Like, but, but I feel like people's distance from you when it just grows like instant, like they, they learn that that's what you do with your life and that's what you've devoted your life to. And they never say, wow, that's really great. Like, I, I wish I could do something like that. They sort of like instantaneously recoil and say like, oh, wow, you're one of those people. Yeah. Do you feel yeah, because there is an assumption that you know all Christians are homophobic or right, um, yeah, anti-abortion or whatever it is. There's that assumption, and and until you get into a conversation, yeah, there's I, I don't know what I mean. I think that's partially PR. I mean, that's partially people's expectations that true come with the role. And I I always say I have you know we were taught in seminary that we have a public role, and it's very true that we're essentially essentially in service to the public and the public's expectations have come from other people in the public eye in the same role. So we're sort of answering to <laughs> answering to other people's expectations more than we are um, answering to who we are and what we do and in our ind individuality. Um, that's part of, I always say at my church, I always, I, I've lowered the bar. I'm, I'm really good at lowering the bar <laughs> because I just, I, I, I don't know the expectations. I learned pretty quickly. The expectations were killing me internally and I just mm. couldn't keep up with them. And if I wanted to keep up with my own health and my own career, I just wouldn't give into them, but I would be kind to people who had expectations and help them see a different way. You know, I mm. got my, I got my evaluation last week. Oh and, yeah. And someone said, uh, there were two funny ones. One was, um, pastor Ralph needs to realize that his job is 24 seven. He's not just on or off the clock. And it was like, no, you need to realize that there are like, unless it's an absolute emergency, there are times when I'm sleeping, you know? Um, and then the other, and one, this is probably the person who texts you and calls you like all the time off hours. Right. So like, I mean, I don't know if you can yes, see who it is. Yeah. And I, yeah. to be honest, I, I'll, I'll ignore things for a couple of days if I'm not on the other funny one was um, pastor Ralph's uh, vacation messages are terse, abrupt, and make it difficult to communicate when he's on vacation. 
And I wanted to be like, yes, that should, yes. that's a positive reinforcement. Yeah. In fact, you should be thankful that there's anything that came at that moment. You know, not that it was even terse. You know, like you, you should be like, don't respond right now. You know, like you know, how you always, I always do that when it's like that. You know, people are off hours or whatever. Yeah. You're like, please don't respond. Just wanted to get this in so I didn't forget it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And like this person is this. Oh my god, that's so unbelievable. Yeah, no, but and my yeah. my my uh, the council president even was like, so I went back and I read one of your your uh, your away messages, and this is what it said: I'm away from this date to this date. Sorry, I can't get your email. Uh, we'll respond when I return. If you need, if it's an emergency, contact this person at the office. And he was like, that is the exact amount that anyone would <laughs> expect if you're on vacation. <laughs> like, wait a minute, what what else could you have possibly put in that information? You know what I mean? Like, and if you'd like to meet up for lunch, I'm available. Like, you can't put any other information into the away message. That's what he was saying was terse was the away message. Yeah, like yeah, the out of office. Oh, so I that's that's ridiculous. I, I would ask that person to please give me the model of what you're looking for in your away message. You know what I mean? Like that's insane. Well, because I lucky, thought you were saying lucky it was anonymous because it's a it's a bunch of people get to review me, um, and he's lucky it's anonymous because my response would have been calling him at two a.m. and been like, hey. Just wanted to check in on something from the meeting last week. <laughs> just, wanted to, just wanted to, you're being awfully oh, terse right now. You're not available? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you answering me with, uh, uh, like, the, that's like crazy. I, I, I gotta be honest. I really thought what you were saying was that you sent a message. Cause this morning I had someone who contacted me. It was way early. It wasn't like super early in the morning, but it was earlier in the morning. And uh, my kids were like getting ready to go. And da, da, da. and she, she sent me this message about something that was going on with her baby. Cause I had done her son's circumcision like a week or two ago. I don't remember what it was. And so she sent me this message and, and she was really concerned. And so immediately I wrote back and then I went, Oh gosh, I was like, it was really terse. Like I really was like, no, it's fine. Don't worry about that. I know this happens all the time. And I sort of said like, it's okay. But like, you know how, when you, you know how like only now is Apple, like when you, when you dictate to your phone, does Siri start to like add question marks? You know what I'm talking about? You notice that? Yeah. And I, and I wish that like, there was a way that, you know, your messages could have your tone because it, it probably could be read like, no, that's fine. Don't worry about it. You know what I mean? And I was like, no, no, that's, oh gosh, I didn't write enough. And I felt like really bad. And then, yeah. Yeah. And she like wrote me later on in the day and said, I'm really sorry. I got in contact with you early in the morning. I was like, oh, that's so funny. Cause I was really sorry that I was so terse. I felt like I was really terse, but um, no, but I, I, I really thought what you were saying was that this person was receiving actual messages from you and you were doing what I did, right. Where it was like, it was like, no, can't really talk right now. Or, you know, like, yeah, sure. Talk to you in a week. But like, and and this person was getting an away message and complained about the away message. That's 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 new. That's a new level for me. I don't know about you, but that's a new level. Yeah. So it goes back to like people have this assumption that there's like a holier than thou lifestyle, and we submit to everything they believe or want. There's even people who you know people will show up, and a couple of weeks in, they'll hear me preach on something or read something in our newsletters. And they'll say, well, it, there must be a typo because it says here you you uh, serve communion to anybody who comes, even visitors and non-members. And I said, yes, that's true. And he said, well, how can you be a church and not, you know, not exclude these types of people? And I'm like, that's what we do. And then they'll they'll talk to me like I'm the crazy one. I'm like, you're the visitor, buddy. You're you're at the wrong place. You went to Burger King and you ordered a chicken sandwich. Don't tell me I'm the person who's wrong. Go to Chick-fil-A. Like, <laughs> Wait, I'm I'm totally lost here for a second. Hold on, because this is a this is I'm not part of the crew, I guess. But 
who does he think you should be not allowing to have communion? Like who are the people yeah, so who should be some, out? There's some groups that are exclusive that it's just, if you're a member of the church, um, uh, believe it submit to the same system of beliefs. We believe it's God's table, God's serving. I just hand it out. So I'm not, I'm not deciding. I'm just the, uh, wow. the servant of the bread and wine. And, um, so anybody gets it, if you feel moved to come up, come on up. But some people say you got to be a member of our church and you have to subscribe to these beliefs and and this um, behavior system and all that kind of stuff. Wow. That's totally, that's totally opposite of what I thought your church. And I'm, it sounds like that's what your church is like, but I mean that the the constituents that come to your church, that they would, that, that just sounds opposite of what I thought they would be like. It was interesting because this very week I had a, a um, on a group that I'm a part of, someone put out a question very interestingly asked, would anybody think that Judaism would be a, would allow uh, us to take communion if we wanted to show solidarity with with non-Jews? And I said, and like, you know, started this whole firestorm of conversation about it. Um, and somebody pointed out somewhere along the way exactly what your congregant was talking about, which was, I don't think they're going to give it to us, even though you might want to show <laughs> solidarity. I think you're not going to be, they're going to go, hold on. You know, like you're not one of the, you know, and it's like, you're not going to have to show any card, you know, carrying members, but I was very like, Oh, that's helpful to know that, you know, even if Log we wanted in. to we would be allowed. log in with your password on the way to the front. <laughs> totally. Oh, we've, um, we've served, uh, you know, non-Christians, Jews, Muslims, Wiccans. Uh, we had a group of gypsies here, last year who were outside asking for money and I invited him in, served him communion. I mean, wow. I think it's God's grace to all people. And, and I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not the gatekeeper on who's in and who's out. I'm just the servant of helping show people what I see. And if they want to want to follow great, if they don't want to follow, that's, you know, that's up to God and the spirit to guide them. So. And it's funny because when I was, when I was in college, you know, I was, uh, my roommate was, uh, uh, his family was pretty devout Catholic family, and you know Lou. Mm -hmm. um, and I visited uh, over Christmas and went with them to midnight mass. And I think it was one of the. I mean, I I think I've been in a church a handful of times, um, and I'd say two of those times had to do with Lou and when he was getting married and when I went with him on to midnight mass. Um, but when we went, the uh, you know the guy it came to the point where everyone was kneeling. And he yeah. turns to me and says, like, you know, you don't have to kneel. And I was like, that's good because I wasn't going to kneel. And like, so he, but as, as everyone's kneeling, they, uh, the, his family is also quite concerned about germs. I'm just going to be nice about that. That's, that's just who they are. And as I was sitting and the person behind me was kneeling, she was coughing on my neck or he, I don't even know if it was a she, like somebody was coughing on my neck, like right on my neck. Right. And I just mentioned it as we like went back to that and, and they were so upset. They were like, oh. They were like, oh no, we do not. That is not okay. And I was like, well, it's really my fault. I wasn't kneeling. Like the person behind me could, there was nowhere else for them to go, you know. But they, you know, it's a the whole experience of being in a setting where, you know, e either like what we were talking about, where you're not at that level of observance if you're, you know, in the same tradition that you're a part of, or when you're with somebody else or in another tradition that you're not a part of at all. Um, it's such a weird, surreal almost, you know what I mean? And and it's it's interesting to hear that you're your doors are that open that you would take um, just about anybody who would come in because I would think, you know, if, if, and this is the interesting thing, like if you were to come to my, if I had a synagogue, right. But if you come to the synagogue that I'm even a member of, and you said, 
I feel totally moved right now. I would like to get called up to the Torah. We would be like, I'm really sorry. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, I'm glad you feel it. But like, yeah, but that's different. You're you're leading, you're leading the Torah. You're you're no, 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 no. No, 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 for sure. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Serious. But I'm saying I couldn't do what you're doing is what I'm saying. I couldn't keep my doors that open is what yeah. I'm saying. Like somebody could come, like we would, we would welcome anyone who wanted to come in and be a part of it or, you know, you know, be like sort of not participating, but be there. But like, if somebody were to say like, you know, we don't have a communion, so I'm doing the best I can here, but like something was the call. They were called to do something and I didn't say any prayers they wanted to, I guess, but if they really were like, please call me up to the Torah, we would say, you know, there's a couple steps here that you have to go through before you can get called up to the Torah. Like we just, we don't call just anybody up. Um, and that's interesting because it's a, it's both, I think I always go back and forth with whether or not it's a positive thing or a negative thing. Because I think it sort of demands us to to have you know some type of standards, but at the same time, it it does limit us in that way that it doesn't let us be open to everybody. Like I said, I'm really good at lowering the bar. <laughs> I'm telling you, you are definitely definitely good at lowering the bar. No doubts about it. Um, so I guess the only other I guess the other question that I have for you is like, w- did you ever have something in your life where you looked back on it and you thought, wow? you know, like I was way too committed to that thing. Like in retrospect, like I was said, I said video games jestfully, but like, was there ever something you looked back on and you said, whew, that was it. That was probably not the way that I should have conducted myself. I've never, I've, I've been more of a jester than an, than a, than a, uh, I sort of dabble in a lot of things and never get too addicted or sold out on some, but I do think like from other people's perspective, right. Things like surfing, you get into a level and you're buying all the hobbies and you got the magazine on the sure. counter and you're watching and we're falling asleep to, a, um, I'd put surfing videos on to fall asleep to at night and people would be like, that's just weird. Oh, <laughs> you know, so I think there's, there's those kind of things, but I don't think it's ever sure. been to a, you know, a sort of elitist zealousy. Um, no, but I'm even thinking of things like, you know, I can think of in times in my life where I was almost committed to nothing. Like when I was in college, I remember there was a time where I felt like, I yeah, exactly. Absolutely nothing. You are no, 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 no. the epitome not of a, sloth. You're like the poster no, child of sloth. Not, not in that way. Not in that way. No, no, no. Nope, Meaning, doing nothing today. Do, do, not that kind of nothing. Doing the nothing of. Committed, committed to doing nothing. No, the commitment I was talking about was having being committed to no particular stance on anything. Like I wouldn't commit to something like, cause I felt like if I committed to stance A or B, I would be excluding one other person or offending some other person. And so I basically just kept it whitewashed. You know what I mean? Like I wouldn't take a stance on something. I wouldn't say, you know, what you're doing is wrong. I mean, obviously there was, you know, black and there are red lines, but like the, it wouldn't be something like if somebody were to say, Hey, well, how do you feel about, I don't know, this political party? I'd be like, yeah, I don't like to make any, you know, I don't like to say anything. And, I, and in retrospect, looking back on that, I feel like it's, it really left me in a world of like, it was sad. It was a really a sad place to be, to be committed to that, committed to like making sure to never offend anyone was like, I left myself with no actual own, my. I didn't have my own beliefs. I didn't have my own, you know, convictions of any kind. And I, I felt like in retrospect, it felt sad to me. I see what you're saying now. Yeah, I don't know. I've never, I don't think I've ever been a, necessarily apologetic about who I am. I've been careful not to overstep or offend people, but I, I wouldn't, if it's who I am or how I believe the world to be, I don't apologize for it. I just kind of is the way it is. Um, so beliefs are all a part of that for me. You know, I, I don't 
force them on anybody, but I don't hide them. I don't, you know, let, <clears throat> what was it? So you were saying you don't, what, do you have a, a, a story of when that was true for you when that happened? I mean, I don't have a, I don't know if I have a specific, you know, moment where I can remember, I can just remember through the time I can remember learning at the end of my college career that like I took a class which was um advocacy an advocacy class with a, a a teacher who I greatly respected I ended up working with her in radio for a little while um and her whole class was basically to show and teach us how to advocate for ourselves in multiple different ways one was I mean as basic as like you know, you call up a, a company and you want to, you know, you're fighting for yourself because you got the wrong product or something. So she would teach us how to like go through the channels and say, okay, I want to talk to the manager. But then she would also, she also forced us to write editorials. You got credit for things. this? Yeah. Yeah. It was wow. great. Yeah. She was, she was the, the woman who taught it was the head of Planned Parenthood in Rhode Island uh, throughout the 1980s. And she was also a uh, talk radio uh, host. And, and the, and the class itself, like she said, one of our assignments was to actually write an, an editorial. And I got, I got in a little bit of trouble when I decided to write that editorial. Um, but, but I can remember a shift at that point where I went from, you know, saying like, well, how could I ever write an editorial? Like, I can't, I, I mean, that would mean that I'd have to say to people, this is what I think, this is what I believe. And it could offend someone. And I, I mean, the worst in my mind at that time, the worst thing I could possibly think of was to offend someone. And, um, and I know that, that just felt like that shift and that change was pretty major because at some point along the way, I went to being way too, I mean, could be committed the other way where I'm way too opinionated and maybe I've got way too many opinions on my plate. Um, and you know, you always have to do a little bit of listening, but yeah, I mean, I th I think that that one could get committed to lots of different things. Like you could say, and most people, I think, instantaneously see it. Like if you're not doing what you do, and you know, put an away message on. If you're always, you know, committed to your work in a way that it, it it's detrimental to your family, to your friends, and you have no life but work, right? We can all see that right away. We can all say, "Wow, you know, like your commitment to that is not a productive one," right? Um, but when it comes to when it comes to religion. I, I sort of see it from a different vantage point now. I see it from the vantage point of that being super committed to to a religious endeavor is one that is a process of constant refinement, right? It's it's sort of not, not as as hokey as a as a self help book, but it is an it is a process where you're trying to make yourself the best possible person you can be, right? And that is really the goal I feel of Judaism. I don't know if you feel that that's what you're doing in your you know in the way you sort of lead your your church, but like, that's my goal in life. My goal in life is to sort of reflect what I think God is, or God wants me to be. Those can be the same things. Right. And that, and that work and that process, you know, in Judaism is, is a constant daily endeavor. It could be from, from, from praying a number of times a day, it could be from learning, but, you know, and some, I can see easily how somebody who's not part of this system would look at it and go, Jeez, Louise, man, you're way over the top. Like, look how disconnected you are from reality. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I, do you like? Does that is that something that that comes up for you? Like, is it something about what daily practice is supposed to do and why you're doing it on a you know weekly, daily, whatever it be? Like, is that something that you that you talk about a lot and from your pulpit? We say, yeah, we don't necessarily say it's about being the best person, but being the best follower and. Cause we've got the best person. I see this. We don't need to try and be better than him. 
um, we just do our best to follow and figure out what that looks like. So it's always encouraging people how to engage in the practices that'll help them follow better and um, hear God and respond to what God's asking of uh, asking them uh, asking of them and things like that. Do the do the the things that you're speaking about come from like what? How would one hear God? Like, is it something that they read, they study, they do, or is it something that they feel in their heart? Like, how does that happen? Yeah, there's I mean, in a number of different ways, and a lot of it. So there's some common ones. For everybody, it's, you know, scriptures, prayers, and community are probably the big ones that everybody kind of goes to. We encourage everyone to go towards. And then from there, it's, I think there's experiences when people have heightened senses of spirituality or enlightenment. So just as much music as nature, as an event, that kind of thing. So there's different personalized experiences, but the three kind of core ones I already mentioned. Right. And is scripture something that you that there's like a daily practice of, like are you supposed to read a certain amount of scripture daily or is it, how does that work? Or is it when they come to hear you preach? No, there's not a prescription. We don't have laws like Judaism does. It's no, no, I don't. I, again, I'm just going to be clear about what we have. Cause it isn't, we don't, we have a law of Torah study. It's an overarching law and how that sort of plays out for different people plays out in different ways. But we have these sort of things that people have built, which are like, um, Daily learning, like there's a the the Talmud, which we've talked about a, a bunch of different times. Um, it takes seven and a half years to get, to go through if you do one page every day, and so there are people who are in the same cycle going through that every single day. And in recent, in more recent years, people have started the same sort of a thing with studying the Bible, right? Studying, you know, going through Torah and uh, and and the um, prophets and the writings, right? So and so you learn a certain amount every day to have that sort of practice. I don't, is there anything like that? Is you have guys have anything like that? Yeah. I mean, there is a, there is in a way, but it's not a, we don't do it. I don't do it. <laughs> I, I kind of find, we kind of find your, our own. Your honesty is great, Ralph. I really, our, I really appreciate our own, it. Our own path of uh, scripture reading. There's an encouragement to read scripture daily and seek God daily through the word, but not there's, there's, I mean, there's tons, there's millions of different, devotionals and um, books you could pick up with reading guides and stuff. The -hmm. Lutheran church does have ones people can pick up and we hand some out here. And um, there is a prescribed preaching schedule for three years, but we don't stick to it a hundred percent. So if people want that of like, here's what to read and when to read it, there is that available, but it's not a, um, it's not a legal, it's not a legal requirement. Right. 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 No, I hear you. Um, I, it's it's very interesting because I feel like there's something very powerful about having lots of people doing something, you know, all at once. But, but again, I feel like the the reason I asked was just to sort of get a sense of where where you you know where your community how that functions because, um, like I said, when, when looking at it from outside, I'm sure that people would look at us and think that we were totally crazy. Do you know what I mean? Like that? How could this possibly be that we're that we that we do all these things. Some people, you know, I've I've had many people approach me and talk to me about, you know, that they they can't imagine, you know, how could you be devoted to something that isn't even real? How do you know that it's real? You know, those kind of questions. But but what I what I find what I find inspiring is that um, there were times in my life where I met people um, who were way in a different sort of camp than I was. Right, like I met one of my closest friends. Um, when I was in high school and I, I, I mean, I wasn't, 
I was barely keeping any laws of being kosher. I didn't pray in any way on a daily basis. I didn't keep Shabbat, right? All these things that I do now. Um, and I remember when I first came to his house, it, it was like, it was scary to me. Like I saw him doing these things and I was like, what is going on here? It was totally foreign to me. It was like almost like alien, you know, totally alien to my life. And and now when when we sort of interact, he actually just moved in downstairs. He's still one of my closest friends. He just moved into he made he made he made uh, he immigrated to Israel a couple of weeks ago, and so and now when we sort of interact, we're we're very much in the same place, and it, it's a weird thing to see that shift where you go from thinking that what you're looking at is totally foreign, totally something that you find either weird or like, how could you be doing that? And then see yourself at a different point in your life and say, wow, you know, like now that's where I am. And and I don't think it's weird anymore. I actually think it's totally normal. And I don't know. Did, I, did you ever feel like you're just different jealous that in your he life? was right? You were wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't know if it's jealousy or, or uh, humility or all those things, but yeah, no, I, no, absolutely. It, there's definitely a, a sort of right, wrong. No, I don't know if there's a right, wrong thing, but, but did you ever, I mean, I don't know. We've talked only a little bit at times throughout our friendship about what it was like for you. And when, you know, did you have a progression in your life where you were more into it, less into it? Like, did it, did it change for you? Was it always the same? Mine's, I mean, mine's much more, And my, my journey, I haven't really been comparing myself to other people. I think it's always trying to be more authentic to who I am and what, God has done for me, but trying to, you know, be a part of a community that is similar in a lot of ways. So I, I rarely compare my faith life. I'll, I'll compare, uh, you know, I definitely get wrapped up in the expectations of the, of the, um, I go back and forth between being very, you know, strong uh, against people's expectations and then just giving in and being exhausted from doing those things. Mm. But I don't, I don't know. I don't look at other people and say, Oh, I wish I was that devout or I, you know, I wish I was less strict about my practices. I think I try to be true to who I am and who God made me. And, um, I feel like a lot of times when I compare, that's when I get in my own head and I get more, you know, nervous or anxious or depressed. And it just doesn't, it feels less like you know, who I was created to be and more, more trying to be someone I'm not in that regard. So I try, I try and hold it loosely and, you know, allow God's forgiveness to wash over me where, what I've done wrong or where I've fallen short, but I don't feel, I think unless it's, you know, a bigger issue, I don't feel accountable to other people's stuff. Um, I think that's up to them. And if, you know, I think the most of the time, the people who are telling you what to do are the people who are the most wrong, trying to justify it to themselves. Sure. You know, and they're often the most fearful um that their way of life isn't right rather than being more accepting of a life of, of a of a diverse world where there may not be one specific way to do faith and religion for all people every time um you know it's people 100%. who hold on to strictly to that that you're kind of like i think you're probably way off and you're going to be really surprised when you <laughs> when you find yeah. out the truth of all this right like no so like there was a time when we um when i was studying uh, to be a rabbi the 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 school i was studying at had a lot of people who were coming and they were doing what we call um studying lishma which means just you know coming to study for its own sake you know just to do some time to learn um and the 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 group of us ended up going to do paintball um, and it was, 
you know, a really fun event and whatever. And one of the times, one of the directions, I don't remember if it was when we were going there or coming back, um, a couple of the people that were in the car with me, I was, you know, at a point where I'd been studying to be a rabbi now for at least a handful of years. And these people were sort of just at the sort of beginning of their learning, which doesn't necessarily mean they were going to become religious leaders, but they were, you know, they were, they were very sort of early on in learning. And, and usually what happens when you're, when you're doing that is you, you have a lot of insecurities about what you're doing and what other people around you are doing. Um, and so they were arguing in the back of the car, you know, is this what we're supposed to do? Or is that what we're supposed to do? And they were going back and forth and they turned to me and they said, is this, you know, who's right? Are we supposed to do this? Or are we supposed to do that? And I turned to them and I said, very similar to what you said, I said, you know, one day you'll get to a point where you're so comfortable with the way and the path you've chosen and, and the way that you've figured out what you're doing. It won't matter what the other person is doing because it won't be a reflection of you doing something wrong. Right. Whereas like you, you immediately assume that if somebody's doing something differently, you must be wrong. And I said, that's, that's, a, it's irrelevant. And you won't, you won't feel that as a necessary uh, response. And I said, and you'll just be okay with the fact, maybe they have a way that they've figured out and they've talked to a different rabbi and they know what they're doing. Um, and so, yeah, it, I think a lot of the time, our reflection of who we are and what we're doing, if we're, we're having this sort of response of how is over, you know, zealous is somebody with their own religion. It is a, it is a reflection of where we are in our lives and, and who we do or don't want to be. Um, but what's interesting you also pointed out is that I feel like we have this sort of double standard in Judaism. And I think it sounds like you do as well, where the, the people who are always sort of pointing fingers with how, you know, how religious someone is, how committed they are, and are they doing this? Are they not doing that? Will then point the finger at the rabbi and say, but no, you have to be totally over the top because you're representing the whole body of everything. And I think that that double standard is like, I don't I don't know how people deal with that. I, I feel very blessed that I don't have to answer to anyone. And I feel like I am also in awe that you who do have to answer to the people, you know, that you work for in that way, that you lead the community, that you are, you know, fine and, and, and in a place where you can say to them, you know what, that's just, I'm, I'm not, you know, going to be your representative of everything that you, you know, want in the world. Am I, is that an accurate reflection of the way you feel? Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, first of all, insecurity is a child's game. You know what I mean? I think people project their issues on other people, just like, you know, a child often gets into fights over trivial things that aren't really what they're about because they're cranky or they're hungry, right? We just have bigger issues and we make them look more complex and it's just insecurity in a new, a new version. And um, I think, like I said, I think I signed up for a public role you know you're under just constant public expectation and scrutiny and people's past uh, experience uh, sort of defines what they assume is true of the future they think every person who's been on a pulpit is a you know a franchise like a mcdonald's and you should get the same burger in idaho that you got in tulsa and really every preacher is different we're not just a fixture that is reproduced in a factory. So and thank God for that. No. Yeah. I mean, I just don't, I don't, I think those are the often things, you know, if it's things that came out in my evaluation that, you know, my preaching was not engaging or um, I wasn't praying enough or I, you know, didn't, didn't, or I was very rude when I visited someone, right. Those are the things that it's like, okay, that's not universal. That's like the, the skills and, and qualities of the position. 
Mm-hmm. But if it's things like, you know, I believed something they didn't believe. It's like, yeah, no kidding. Thanks for the <laughs> facts. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Tell every, me something I don't know. There are billions of people on the earth and no two believe the same thing. Um, I think a lot of it is just like, you know, not getting too worked up about what people assume, but taking in a percentage of it that is true of what, you know, what needs to be done differently. Like I said, some people say stuff and I'm like, okay, that's not a hundred percent, but I'm 20%. Um, I need to learn 20% or 20% at fault and need to learn and grow from this. And that's the part that I'd say is I'm hearing from God on how to lead my faith. The other 80% is just garbage that they threw at me. That was their own baggage and insecurity. And the the more I deal with someone else's garbage, the more the worse I feel. And the more Absolutely. I deal, the more I deal with my own, what I'm, what I'm accountable to and responsible for, I feel better because, you know, those are the things we can work on, right? I'm, I'm not responsible for what you did to me, but I am responsible for how I react and how I learn and grow from that. I think that's the biggest thing is like, okay, I can still love you, but geez, I'm not going to ask you for advice on away messages anymore. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'll tell you there's a, um, no, it's true. The, the truth is we can only really control our own responses. And I, and in that vein, I want to tell you, that this was one of my favorite stories. Um, there was a rabbi who uh, passed away a few years ago who was very well known. He worked with. Sorry for your loss. Um, thank you. Thank you. He was. Uh, he was. He worked with uh, drug addicts mostly and was a psychiatrist as well. Um, and he wrote a lot of amazing books. But he, I mean, not but, but he also dressed in the very traditional way with the long black coat and the black hat. And he probably had, I don't even, I've never met him, but he probably had what we call payas, where are those side curls hanging down in his sideburns. Uh, and he was once on a bus in uh, in New York and somebody came up to him and said, oh, what's wrong with you? When, when are you guys going to get into the, the 20th century already? I mean, come on, you, you're living in the past. Why are you dressed like that? And, and the rabbi turned to him and said, um, I'm actually Amish. And the guy goes, oh, I love you guys. Your traditions are wonderful. Um, I respect you for what you do. And then the guy, and the rabbi said, actually, I, I am Jewish. But what changed in between now and then, <laughs> in that one moment there? And it was like such a great learning lesson of like, yeah, really? A lot of this is people's baggage coming to uh, somebody that's, you know, you know, and if they have figured it out in some senses, that's that should be the best, you know, the best of responses to sort of say, you know what? You, this is really your issue, not mine. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it kind of ties into what you started with where people who seem over, if you think someone seems like over the top dedicated to someone, it's probably your fear of being sold out, dedicated to something and not mm-hmm. how they choose to live their life. Right. Unless they are terrorists, extremists, and they're, just, they're imposing what they do on other people. If they're just doing it for their own faith or hobby or self-discipline, great, go for it. I, I I actually love people who go way over the top and into something like, you know, those guys who make um uh like the domino towers that take up their whole house. Oh yes, those things are ridiculous. Some people are like, that is crazy. I'm like, that is amazing. That guy dedicated like his entire house. He invested money. He tried. You know he failed like 47 times. Oh yeah. There should be bloopers on those. Kick the the dog because he screwed up the domino thing. 
but oh my it's god, it's cool that he did it. Or like people who are really into something eccentric, you're kind of like, that is awesome. Like I just love seeing those people, no matter how quirky or odd it is. It's like I love that they're sold out on something, even if it's not my thing. And who would I ever be like, you know, I'm not gonna impose my stuff on them and they're not they're not harming anybody or forcing me to become a marble shooting Pokemon player. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I don't remember where I heard it, but there was once a state, uh, um, so I don't know if it was in a movie or somebody once I heard say something to the effect of true, um, it's not true perfection, but true sort of beauty is doing something at the level, at the best level that you can possibly do it. Meaning you could be, I don't know, a trash collector, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that. Don't start sending us letters from the trash collectors, but, but to really do that, whatever it be that you've committed yourself to, to do it at a level that's that impressive, like the people who do the dominoes all over their house, there's a real beauty in that. You know what I mean? And there's a real, there's really something to be respected. Even if you don't, like you said, even if it's, you're never going to set up dominoes, even in one room, let alone the whole house there's some beauty in the fact that you, you committed yourself to that in a way um, that got yourself to a level that everyone can respect mm-hmm. and be impressed by. I think yeah. that's really special. hundred percent. And it's just hard that the world is just so judgmental about those kind of things that they don't understand and not, you know, more curious about somebody who, uh, who dedicates their lives to making squirrel traps <laughs> or yeah. Or, or, or religion. Yeah. Any of those things, right? Like if you, and, and it's another, I mean, we've talked about it before, but it's a shift in the way people look at what, um, what things are really to be valued, you know, whether or not you, you look at somebody who's dedicated their entire life and, and is now, uh, advanced in their years and has a lot of knowledge to give you, right. That's something which is of total value. You know what I mean? That you should look at that person, not as sort of like, oh, they're on their way out. You know, they don't know how to program the VCR, you know, something like that, that you should, you should look at them as they really have some sort of deep life uh, lessons to teach you. So that's, that's a real value. Well, that's a good sermon to end on, Jamie. Oh, I'll try. Oh, <laughs> like it was a puppy. <laughs> All right, everybody. Peace out. Thanks for listening. Be well, guys.